Judas's carriot, what might have been. The very mention of the name Judas no doubt conjures up in our mind so many thoughts, and in almost all cases those thoughts are certainly not very good. We think about the choices that that man made. And though you and I live 20 centuries roughly this side of His time upon this earth, we nonetheless recognize that the Holy Spirit has seen fit to preserve for us His record. No doubt, partly because you and I can learn much from what He chose to do, and you and I can be better for learning the lessons that would be involved in such consideration. This opening slide will be an introduction that will basically set in motion some of the courses that you and I will develop over the course of the next few moments this morning. As I mentioned, Judas Iscariot will be the person of whom we will turn our attention this morning. And as we do that, we recognize the Bible will have much to say about his choices. For that reason, I've chosen to divide the lesson into at least some broad categories. The first one will be perhaps... One that will be obvious in one way, perhaps not so much so in another. The name Judas. Would you just reflect then for at least the first few sections of the lesson upon the nature of that name and maybe some lessons that can come your way and mine as a result of it. As you can see on that slide, the name Judas is such that you and I remember the Lord particularly called those apostles. Now at the time, they were the disciples, and as He called them, He thus bequeathed to them the character and the nature of those that were sent, His closest associates. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, our Savior prayed the breadth, the fullness of the night. And then the text says, in the morning, He called His disciples to Him, and of that number, He chose twelve. Judas was among that number. This man that we know as Judas, the one who's called Iscariot, he was among that number. These close associates, these individuals who would have the prerogative of laboring side by side and shoulder to shoulder with the Master for the next three and somewhat more years. No wonder on that slide we quickly notice the New Testament provides us with several listings of the names of those apostles. May I offer Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. And finally, Acts chapter 1, starting in verses 12 and 13. And isn't it interesting that in every one of those lists, the first three, I guess I mean by that, we find Peter is listed first. Judas is listed last. In every single one of those three lists, now he didn't even mention, of course, in the Acts one because he's already dead by then. But in the first three, Judas is carried as listed as the last one in each case. And not only that, in every one of those cases, a descriptive phrase or clause is given. Something that identifies he's the one that betrayed Christ or he's the one that's the traitor. In every case... The Holy Spirit has seen fit to preserve not only His name in the, last, in the last of the places, but also a characteristic feature of Him. I might suggest that's going to be very helpful, very meaningful in just a moment. But one additional thing is, 
Have you ever given thought to the name Judas? The reason I ask that is this. You and I, by and large, take a great deal of pride in our name. Your first name, your last name, your parents bequeathed it to you, and you have hopefully tried to at least appreciate a fair degree of dignity and integrity consistent with it. The name Judas is also in that category for this reason. As the Old Testament would give way into the New, you know, the name Judas was a very, very respectable name. Ponder this with me. What's the origin of the name Judas? Well, that's just the New Testament way of writing the name Judah. And I hope you and I are quick to remember Jacob's fourth oldest son. It was Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. And you and I remember then the remainder of the Old Testament often cast a dramatic spotlight upon the blessings attached to that tribe. It would be the one through whom the Christ would come. In fact, it was that tribe that also was the principal one that formed the southern kingdom of Judah. After all, Benjamin and Judah joined their forces, if you please. The other ten tribes went their way and formed the northern kingdom of Israel. Not only that, consider the word Jew. As often as you and I see that word in the Bible, that word is just a reminder of a citizen of Judah. A Jew. Those who were loyal to the cause of God. Those who were dedicated and committed to the way of the God Most High. May I submit to you then, when Judas Iscariot's parents gave him this name, it was an honorable name, a respectable name, a name connected with significant numbers of years of godly history. I hope with that consideration in mind, what a grand lesson. Here was a man given a very noteworthy name. While we're on that subject, then think about some of the names of the other apostles. Names like Peter, and Andrew, and John, and James. You and I probably can think of many people in our lives who still carry those names. People who are named Andrew, or people who are named James. How many people can you think of named Judas? How many? I'd be surprised if you can think of even one. I don't know anyone in my circle of acquaintances in all my years of life, whose first name was Judas. Isn't it interesting then that here was a man who was given us such a noteworthy and respectable name, and he ruined it. He absolutely ruined it. What about your name and mine today? We too were given a name. And no doubt at the time that we were born, that name given to us was such promise and possibility and perhaps even a degree of prestige connected with what the family had been known for. Have you and I treated it respectfully? Is our name known in circles for character and integrity? Is it known for things that are upright? Or have we ruined it? That name on the slide, of course, begs us to notice Judas ruined this one. For all time, I just don't suspect we're going to appreciate any reasonable time when folks are going to start naming their little boys Judas because of the stigma attached to it. 
because of the history connected to it by virtue of Him. The last statement on that slide then will be this one. As you and I build some of those considerations and try to make those personal applications, several passages that remind us of what's connected to the name of Judas. He's called the betrayer. Nobody wants to be known as a betrayer. You know, in the history of our country, we will remember in those early years after the Constitution was put in place and after the features connected to it, we remember Aaron Burr is still lifted high in our history classes. No one wants to be known as a traitor. Nobody wants to have a name connected with that kind of activity. And yet the Bible says Judas was one. Not only that, he of course betrayed the Master about which we'll have much more to say later this morning. For that reason, what about again making these applications? Proverbs 22 verse 1 will say, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor more than wisdom and honor. May I offer all of us an encouragement to treat with respect and dignity. And may I say, if the name that we were given doesn't stand out so, may we work through our life to make sure that when we hand it to our children, that name will be honored and it'll be respected more than when we got it. Young people, hear me now. Your name is special. And your name carries a great deal of weight of significance for you and for others. Treat it well. Treat it with dignity. Treat it with honor and respect and strive among all other ways to make sure that it is an honest and highly regarded name. Judas lived beneath his privileges. That name that, was, that meant so much from Old Testament lore at least, and yet, and yet, he ruined it. In Acts 4.36, you know, we read about a man named Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. He was known as an encourager. Think about how different that is from Judas. Whereas Judas, you know, was the traitor, the one who was known as the betrayer, and yet Barnabas was known as an encourager. How are you known? I'd be so quick to say that when your name and mine is mentioned, something comes to mind of those that know us. Don't we want it to be a good thing? Don't we want it to be a thing that's noble, a thing that's godly, a thing that is in fact consistent with biblical revelation? We sure don't want the first thing to come to their mind to be something that is in disagreement to the Bible. What about your name and mine? Lesson number two from Judas. Not only have we learned about his name, what about the fact of his influence? Separate and apart from His name, we're going to develop something based on what we're about to see here. Would you be turning to John chapter 12? In the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to John, we read some interesting comments that Judas made. So notice, these are special matters that he voiced, and therefore they were on his mind, they were upon his heart. We can learn a great deal about a person when we listen to what they say and to the way that they say it. Let's develop a few points as we reflect on what Judas said. Verse number 1 of this chapter will point us six days before the Passover. The Lord is within a week of His death. 
Verse number 1 will say, He came to Bethany, and here's the very place where Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived. Verse 2 will point out that there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Now much might be made in a very negative way about the text, at least in relation to Judas that we just read. But let's extract a portion related to influence and do so as follows. You and I remember as this scene developed, what an interesting one it was when here the Lord was enjoying a meal with the very family, inclusive of the one whom He'd raised from the dead one chapter earlier. Lazarus had been dead and the Lord brought him back to life. As this supper took place, Mary, of her own volition and choice, took a pound of nard, a pound of ointment. The text says it was very costly. I might ask all of us to reflect on the exceeding great cost of it. Other particular sources will remind us that typical cost could well have been a year's wages. Think about spending a year of your wages on this ointment and pouring it out on the Lord's feet and on His head. Mary did it. The means by which she had acquired this, we do not know. But she had it, and it was very precious. The text says that the odor filled all the house. Verse number 3. Judas was there watching. He witnessed it. And did you note the first thing he uttered, the first statement that he made? Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence? In essence, he said she wasted it. To what good was this? She poured it out on him, his head and his feet. You might take note in the language that's about to follow. I didn't read verse number 7 and following. How did the Lord react to Judas' statement? Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Jesus defended her. You and I might take note of other observations in this, but isn't it interesting? I've entitled this part of the lesson, Judas the Influencer. We just noted what Judas said. He wasn't the only one watching. The other apostles were there and they watched it too. How'd they react? Turn back to Mark's account. As you turn back to that one, look at the statement that we find in Mark 14, verse 4. Keep in mind, this is Mark's version, his description of the same event. And you notice in verse 3 it says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having 
an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head, anointing Jesus. And now look at the next verse with me, please. And there were some that had had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? Did you note the plural noun? Judas in in John 12 had been the spokesman. He had been the one voicing a degree of consternation in regard to what Mary had done. In Mark's version, more than Judas was doing the speaking. Look at Matthew's version. Maybe some more details are given. In Matthew 26, verse number 6, If I might call your attention to verse number 8, But when His disciples saw it, they had indignation. Note again the plural pronoun. To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. The instruction of the text seems to be this. Judas had the first remark. But the other apostles were influenced, it would seem, by Judas's viewpoint. And they then voiced their consternation against what Mary had done. This is wasteful. The lesson is one of influence. Judas was a person of bad influence. He appeared to be one who led the other apostles to also begin to think the way he did. To, in fact, rebuke Mary for what she had done to frown upon the usage of that ointment that way. The lesson, of course, is an obvious one. What kind of influence are you and I making? Every one of us is influencing one or more. And it's either going to be that which is for good, or it shall be that which is, at the very least, questionable, if not rather poor. Judas, not only did he ruin the name... But consider what Mary had done in light of her devotion to the Master and her givenness to His cause. She sacrificed incredibly on this occasion, as I've already stated. And yet Judas had no interest in this. He didn't compliment her for it. He didn't, in fact, pronounce a degree of praiseworthiness toward Jesus because of it. All he could think about was, this is a wasteful thing. Now, he stated a pretense that we could have used it on the poor. But Jesus was quick to say, you'll always have the poor. You don't have me always. But then John adds that little statement. Judas was also known or came to be known for something else. He was a thief. Not only did he ruin the name, he was a thief. John gives us that information again in verse 6 of John 12. Jesus and those apostles, they needed money, of course, to go about and carry some of those things that were necessary activities of their work. And thus, as collections were made and as offerings were presented to them, Judas kept the bag. He was the treasurer for the apostles. But John quickly tells us that he helped himself to what was in the bag. He pilfered. He stole from Jesus. Can you believe it? Now, as you reflect upon that kind of behavior, the kind of choices that Judas had made, may I say at the bottom of that slide, let's develop this point with it. To say that he was the treasurer 
is to say that he apparently had undergone a very interesting transformation. What leads us to suppose this? Well, first of all, as we learned earlier, Judas had been hand-selected by Jesus. He was the one, you see, who, just like the other of the apostles, he had been given power and great capacity to carry out the work of the Lord. Judas could work miracles. Judas could heal the sick. Judas could raise the dead. Judas could heal the infirmed. Judas could do all of that, just like the others could. And somewhere along the way, a particular degree of thought began to develop. And clearly, he turned aside from the nobleness of what he once had appreciated, and he became given to money, to this other way of life, to that which was available in that way. The text says he was a thief. He stole from the other apostles and he stole from Jesus to advantage himself. It might be fair to say in light of all of that, that kind of transformation is something that could happen to any of us. A person known to be a faithful servant to the Lord at one time in life and then three years later, four years later, ten years later, person is not known in any way like what he or she was once known for. They've begun to pursue a kind of life, a way of living, a way of talking, a way of behaving, a way of acting that is nothing like what once was appreciated. And the fact is, they know better. Judas knew better. He had been with Jesus. He had seen Him work miracles. He'd seen Him raise Lazarus. He had seen Him raise the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7. He had seen Him raise Jairus' daughter. He had seen Him captivate thousands by His preaching. He had seen Him feed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. He'd seen it all. But something motivated inside Him that took Him in a direction that was very different. The Bible would issue all of us a warning. It can happen to us. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. You and I at the moment may be faithful and strong Christians and praise be unto God for that. But are we continuing in steadfastness in such a way that we'll be convicted and ongoingly remain faithful to the Lord? Revelation 2.10 will still say, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. It isn't enough to be faithful 20 years if we live to be age 80. We'll still die lost. We've got to stay true to the Lord. Judas didn't. The things that we read about him, he moved in this direction, as you can see at the bottom of that slide, and he isn't the only one in the Bible. We could mention Demas. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, he loved this present world. To say again, the things that Judas had seen, the things that he had experienced, and yet to turn aside from it. You and I may wonder how he could have done it. Among other things, may we never forget how wise the devil can be. He can bring into our life what He knows we already love, but He will find ways for us to develop it and to pursue it 
at the cost of faithfulness to other things. That's as needful a lesson today as it ever was for Judas. Maybe it is in that regard one final thing before we leave this point. So Judas was a thief, and yet day by day he walked right shoulder to shoulder with the other apostles. He was a hypocrite. Here they were entering a given town to preach and to carry out the work of God, and maybe the other apostles, they just didn't understand that he was stealing from them. When John wrote his gospel account, it was all well known, you see. But at the time, the other apostles may well not have known it. Now, you and I know Jesus knew it because He could read their hearts. He knew what was in Judas's heart. And nonetheless, Judas went about day by day behaving like this. Doesn't that remind us, sometimes we may think we're fooling everybody. Oh, we go to our church services and we engage in those other kinds of programs and activities, and all the while our heart is a canker. We're not living the way we should, and we know it but we're hiding it before everybody else. The Bible has much to say about that. And we all know the Bible doesn't have good things to say about it because that's terrible. We can't hide from God. Maybe the words of that poem that I've asked you to consider somewhat bring that point before us. I don't know uh, exactly the title, but I think the title is You Can't Fool God written by Glenville Kleiser. You can fool the hapless public. You can be a subtle fraud. You can hide your little meanness, but you can't fool God. You can advertise your virtues, your self-achievements law, and you can load yourself with riches, but you can't fool God. You can criticize the Bible. You can be a selfish clod. You can lie, drink, steal, and gamble, but you can't fool God. To think about that particular poem, doesn't it remind us? We may think we can fool everybody else, and maybe we can for a while, but we'll never succeed in fooling God. Judas couldn't. And so let's close the lesson with the last point. The betrayer. He not only ruined the name Judas, and not only did he in fact bring such a bad influence... It's also the case that, of course, he betrayed Jesus. And no doubt that's the thing for which we know him best. The text will say in Luke 22, 3, Satan entered Judas. Now, we don't have any doubt, but what in times past, he had already had thoughts pointing in the direction of this, but Satan found the time to open in his heart and mind the full pursuit of a way to get a little more money, perhaps, but a way that would lead to the, to the actual betrayal of Jesus. Isn't it fascinating to notice that Judas, he was a free moral agent. I know there have been those who perhaps by way of falseness have thought, well, Judas couldn't help it. It was this way because it was God's will he betrayed Jesus. May we never think that line. Judas could make decisions just like you and I could. He made the choice to do what he did. Now, no doubt, the God of heaven used it and even prophesied in the Old Testament it was going to happen, but that's just writing history before it happened. It's not that he predetermined Judas to do this. He just knew Judas was going to, and Judas did. In the words of Psalm 41, 9, one of the Lord's friends betrayed him. 
no wonder on that slide, the time came. Apparently, that love of money reached a heightened peak in the life and heart of Judas. But isn't it kind of ironic that when that particular thought arose, he bargained with those Jewish officials for a fairly small amount of money. Thirty pieces of silver is all he got for Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? You might have thought that in the cleverness of his capability, he would have bargained for more than that. Thirty pieces of silver. Perhaps it makes us wonder, was that the initial down payment with the thought of a guaranteed greater sum later? Possibly. Of course, Judas would take his own life before he ever got anything more. But at least the initial down payment wasn't a lot. Thirty pieces of silver. You'll see then on that slide, Judas is one who then, day by day, could look into the eyes of Jesus Stealing from him and from the group, he had to be a fairly cold-hearted person, it would seem. And you'll notice even on that very night, the Lord presented the sop to him and identified, you're the one. And Judas, what you're going to do, do it quickly. And Judas went out that night, made the final arrangements, and took care of things later that evening. Judas is an interesting person to consider, but you see a lot of the mistakes he made are parallel, at least, to ones we could make. Now, not to say we can literally betray Jesus in person. He isn't alive on earth now like he was then. But you and I can be transformed in life in a bad way. We can ruin our name just like, Jesus, just like Judas did. And not only that, isn't it true? In a way, we can betray Jesus too. Because what does Hebrews 10.26 say? Is it possible for you and I to trodden underfoot the Son of God, trample right over Him as if He's nothing? Sure we can. Doesn't that beg a great question? What's the lesson of your life and mine today? Judas had seen so many things. But he counted the Lord's blood, it would seem, a rather unholy matter. Everything about Judas we may not know, but we do know a lot. And I hope the lesson today perhaps begs this question, what might have been? I'd like to offer at least one final thought. Even after he betrayed Jesus, what if he had made different choices? What if upon his recognition of what he had done, he had gone and thrown the money down? And what if he, he then had went to the other apostles and said, Please forgive me. I'd like to again labor in faithfulness for the cause of Jesus. I don't doubt he would have had many that would have looked upon him with a strangeness. Aren't you the very one that betrayed him? And now you're going to preach the very gospel of the one that you helped put to death? I have no doubt that would have happened. And I have no doubt it would have been challenging, but what a tremendous object lesson he would have been. Because he could have said, look, I'm exhibit A. I followed the devil and I followed the ways of the world, but I repented. And I know I helped put him to death. But now I'm going to give everything I've got to live for him. Judas was also rather selfish. He went and committed suicide. Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5. He took his life, never allowing Jesus the opportunity to use him. 
in the cause of the gospel. I feel sure God could have used him incredibly as someone who had been given to the ways of the devil but turned their life to God, but Judas never gave that opportunity. He took his life. Today in this assembly, why don't we all give careful thought to this? What might have been? What if that said about you and I? On the day of judgment, Randy Bybee, what might have been? I gave you potential and talent and skill and capacity, and you wasted a fair amount of it? And put your name in that blank. What might have been? Whether it be the matter of our name, the matter of our influence, or the matter of our indirect betrayal of the Master. Oh, how sore a decision that would be that day. If this morning there'd be someone in this assembly, and maybe upon reflection of your life, you realize that you want to live for Jesus. Holy for Jesus. The invitation is about to be extended, and we offer a convenient time. Jesus is inviting you to come. He wants you to come. If you need to become a Christian today, every person on earth has the same demands. You've got to hear the Word of the Lord. You need to hear what Jesus has said. Believe it. Believe it fully. Believing Him to be the Son of God and repent of your sins confess the matchlessness of His name as a Son of God and be baptized. Today, if we could assist you in that way, what a glorious day for you would be. By the same token, if you have known Christianity, maybe once time, once like Judas, you in fact were wholly engaged in it, but things have changed. Your life is nothing like what it once was, and sadly it's not like what the Lord knows it can be. You don't want to live regretfully. Why don't you come back to your first love today? Make confession of those sins, those errors, repent of them, and we'll be honored to pray to God that He might forgive you. Today, if we can help you in any way, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?